You're listening to Larger Story Messages. For more teaching and resources, visit LargerStory.com. Well, hello, everybody. I'm Kep Crab. Thanks for joining us today for Larger Stories Book of the Month webinar series. We're going to be talking today about Dr. Crab's book, Waiting for Heaven, which was the first book that the Larger Story Press ever published, so we're proud of that. I've often thought as we're, as we're talking about Waiting for Heaven that this could, um, and I don't think I'm alone, that this really could have been the follow-up to Inside Out. It could have been the Inside Out too. and Dad actually mentions that a little bit in the book that we'll be discussing today, Waiting for Heaven. So before I introduce my guest today, uh, let me just talk a little bit about where Larry was when he wrote this book. Um, this book was published in mid-2020, usually takes dad about, took dad, I should say, about nine months or so to produce a book. So he really wrote this book in 2019, in the early part of 2020, and then we got it and turned it into what you see today. So it was a little bit, uh, about a year and a half before he actually went home to heaven. And um, I can hear a lot of his thinking throughout this book as I was reading this coming back from a trip last week where he talks about to, to live thirsty. What does it mean to live thirsty and to wait so badly now for something that we really want, that we know we're going to get later? Um, persevering now. Perseverance seemed to be a word that he always used. Persevering for what's to come. Um, overcoming temptation and sin for what's to come. One of his favorite lines that he would love to say before he died is, the best is yet to come. Um, he would love to say that. It reminds me of a, a little passage that he wrote in this book that I just want to read to you real quickly. He talks about in, in Waiting for Heaven, he says, waiting Christians will more quickly recognize temptation for what it is, an opportunity to arrange for oneself an experience that God promises to provide later. And waiting Christians will discover new strength to resist the allure of such opportunities. Christians who learn to wait, and I love this, will live a better life now and will die a better death when heaven's gates swing open. Could this be the narrow road to freedom, dad asks? And then he says, Lord, teach me to wait. And then he prays, and this is actually a prayer that he pulled from his book, When God's Ways Make No Sense. He says, Jesus, here I am again, desiring a thing that if I were to indulge in it would war against my heart and the hearts of those I love. In this moment, I might choose to indulge a fleeting hunger, or I might choose to love you more. This is where he talks about the two stories here. He says, given the choice of shame or glory, I choose glory. Let me choose glory. Given the choice of movement or eternity, and I love this line, he says, let me choose in this moment what is eternal. And then he says, given the choice of this easy pleasure or the harder road of the cross, give me grace to choose to follow you. He says that. And there's two other quick, quick quotes that I just want to read as we get started here, and I'll introduce our guest today. This is also a passage in here. Every time I, I get a chance to read some of, some of Crab's books, it just seems like there's so many lines that are just quotable that you just want to grab hold of and just remember that, that line. I remember even as a kid sit, standing at the foot of his bed saying, Dad, give me an introductory paragraph to this paper that I'm supposed to write, and he would just spew those paragraphs out. 
Oh, but he says, this is talking about aft, active waiting. And he says, I am to never passively wait for the Lord's return as an afterthought. That just grabbed me right there. With no more valued ambition than to enjoy the good things available now in this world. To live with no infinitely broader perspective than to live in between my birth and my death is to live a wasted life. A life that fails to tell God's larger story by how we relate. The last passage I'm going to read in Waiting for Heaven as we jump into this is the last one. He says, wait for tomorrow. Demand nothing today, but enjoy God's blessings today. And yet, whether in blessings or trials, live to love well today. So every time I hear those words, I can just hear dad talking. And um, it just, this, it, was, it was fun to read this book and just remember going through that book with him when it was the last one that we had a chance to do together. So my guest today, and some of you might have seen me introduce him at the summit that we just had uh, a few weeks ago. I introduced Kent Denlinger as my big brother, struggling journeyer, and a close friend. And I've known Kent and his wife, Carla, for many decades, and I love them both. So Kent, thanks for joining me today. And how are you doing, my man? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks for a chance to be a part of this. It's kind of fun to, to think about all the, although the book is, uh, I wouldn't call it fun. <laughs> I'd call it uh, thick and uh, challenging, you know, so. Well, it's, it, I, I hope that um, the conversation that we just got done having for the last 30 minutes, we can continue on because it could have gone in tons of different directions. But we were chatting, uh, I guess, maybe about a month or two ago. And you had mentioned that you just got done reading or, or were perusing Waiting for Heaven. And I said, why don't you join me when we do this webinar? And, mm -hmm. um, and I, that felt very uh, providential. I was super excited. Hadn't, didn't, didn't have anybody in mind to join me. Tell me what was, uh, what was grabbing you about this book as you dove, dove back into it, man. Well, it's like what we talked about. I've read the book three times now and kind of like what we talked about beforehand. And that's just that for me, it stirred even more than the topic of, of addiction. It just stirred hope. It just stirred a, a deeper sense in me of wanting to live um, hopeful for a better day. And it's just, it's made me just think about all the times when I feel, whether it's temptation or, or just the struggle of aloneness, um, inadequacy, wondering if your life matters. Um, they, the, all those things just feel like what they're doing for me is just kind of eliciting this deep sense of there's just a better day coming. There's a day coming when, and I want to live in light of that. And it's one of the things I think that your dad did so well was that he was able to look into those things of the soul and the heart and call us down the road, just to put words to it in a way. I mean, you read that that first first paragraph that you read, and I thought, gosh, let's just wrap it up here. That's that was good. <laughs> and that's you know, I, I went back to the book and I, I just man, I could have like you said, I could have written out. They're not necessarily quotable sentences, but man, they're, they're lifelines, you know, that you, you feel like, wow, there's just so much depth in those words. There's so much truth in that, that I want to know more of. You know, I, I as you, as you, as you say that, it's interesting, because one of the things I thought about is, you know, we just got done doing the, the, the first larger story summit at the Cove. Um, and we had, uh, you know, 150 people, and we had a bunch of people online join us for the virtual component, which was really fun. And I was so grateful that, that the thing went so well, but I came, I, I, I'm starting to understand dad a little bit more, Kent. I really am, man. 
you know, when he would talk about, I don't care and all that stuff, but I'm, I'm sitting at the summit thinking this is really fun in, in a way that I think is bringing dad some pleasure. I think it's bringing God, the father, some pleasure. We're having great conversations with each other that are challenging. Um, we're thinking about what it means to, to live life now and continue to carry this torch. And I thought, it, it, you know, this is about as good as it gets. And it just doesn't seem to hit it anymore. And, you know, I'm starting to realize that we really were built for something more than what we can even try to get here now. And the frustration, I think, comes when you just, you press into this life and that I'm going to make this life work yeah. and somehow. And I mean, you know, I, I remember there's a, there's a passage dad talks about in the book where he's talking about, you know, the, the, the Christian who, you know, is, is going to make this life work and it's going to be a good life and he's going to have, you know, good ministry, whatever. And then he's going to, he's going to go to heaven and it's just going to be even better than that. It's just boom, boom, boom. And I'm thinking, wow, who is that? I just, I just have just got, um, I've gotten the real, I've come to the realization that this life is set up to fail yeah. and it's set up to be the, the narrow journey that we're on. And it just, it's, 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 it's painful and it's a struggle, yeah. even in the midst of some real joy. Well, and, you know, your dad knows who I'm talking about, but I had a seminary professor and his sentence about Genesis 3 is that God rigged the universe so that it doesn't work. Um, and, you know, we, of course, apart from God, we're just going to keep trying to make it work. We're going to keep asking people and things to do for us what they were never intended to do. And, you know, I, I, it's just a core, it's just a core truth throughout this book, throughout almost all of your dad's writings. Uh, and yet it's something that the church just hasn't done a good job of. And I don't want to rag on the church. That's not my point. It's just, but we, we just, we, it's hard to live thirsty. It just is. And, you know, and I think people want to believe that Jesus takes that thirst away. And we quote a verse like in John four, where Jesus says, come to me and you'll never thirst again. And yet I say, well, if that's true, then why at the end of the Bible is the last identifiable characteristic of God's people thirst come you who are thirsty and drink from the river of life without cost. So I think our thirst is our ticket home. It's our, it's that beacon inside of us, honing device, calling us on, calling us on, calling us on. And I think Jesus, I think he, I think there are moments when he touches our lives and we feel a deep satisfaction, but I don't think that's a permanent, permanent thing. I think he was talking about a future thing really when he would deeply satisfy us. So um, at least that's my take on it, but yeah, this idea of thirst is just, and it's behind addiction, obviously, you know, it's just really behind our addiction. Um, and yet we don't, we don't do a very good job of, I mean, I think we ought to come every Sunday morning and at some level, something about the church service should remind us and rightfully identify our thirst as being for God. Um, and that it is our thirst that gets us off the path. And it's our thirst that should call us back onto the path, you know, so. Yeah. Man, I, I, I just love hearing that, Kent. I mean, you know, for me, as I, as I was reading through this too, one of the things that I think really occurred to me is the two stories that really are being told. Um, God's larger story and really Satan's false story and, um, and what that looks like. And I, I, I kept asking myself the question, and, and Dad asked it in the book all the time, is, is some of this possible? Is some of this really possible? He talks about the, the committed Christian in the book who really is waiting and, and with that, with that hunger and, and being aware of their thirst. Um, and I think I've had moments of that. Um, but, but so often I just, you just, you just, you just miss the mark. And um, I think that, you know, as you, as you sit there and talk about, you know, what's really going on, it, 
I, I wonder where does real change really occur in people? And what we're trying to do with Larger Story has been, you know, kind of touch Josie and Jake's, my kids' age group, you know, the, the, the 20, 21 year olds to the 25 year olds and then to the 35 year olds and then to the 50 year olds like me and then to the, you know, old, you know, but, but, but how do we have an entree into that group of kids that, that are dealing with a world that's so different? Um, and I, I, as I was thinking about it and praying about it and reading this book, it really is about your bigger, there's, there's something bigger than yourself and you're part of it. And that this life isn't it. This isn't it. I think everyone wants to make this it. And I'm starting to realize this is a 53-year-old man, how quickly life goes. I mean, you know, it's just, it's not going to be too much longer till, till we're all laying on that bed that dad was laying on, if we're lucky enough <laughs> to die the way he died. And heaven's really coming. I start to become so much more aware of heaven since his passing. And I think about it all the time. I've said this to you, bro what's he doing now? What's he doing in heaven now? He's not living by faith or hope anymore, no. but he's still living with love. Yeah. Well, and I don't think that means anything to us unless we're, um, unless we're thirsty, unless we're aware of a, a deeper ache in our soul. You know, the groan that Paul spoke of in Romans 8 and Corinthians. And, you know, I, I heard a story not long ago, um, a, a young man from Africa um, was asked to give the senior address in seminary, and his friend said, "What are you What are you going to talk about?" And he said, "Well, I know what I'm going to talk about." He said, "What I'm What I want to ask you is, uh, why is it nobody's talking about heaven?" He said, "Back in my country, that's all we ever talk about. Partly because he lived in a country in Africa that was suffering all the time, you know, and our our comfort and all and convenience and busyness has." blinded us to to our hope for something more and until you feel that ache and and that's is where i struggle with you know how do we get to the younger generation it, it, it's there's some level which you got to live life for a certain period of time until some of those things that you're chasing right. start to run dry you know yeah um, and maybe what we're doing more than anything is just trying to create some categories um that you implant in your kids so that eventually or the young people so that eventually they realize oh yeah okay <laughs> yeah okay i know what they were saying now when you talk about the suffering and the struggle um i remember coming home kimmy and i are coming home from the summit and we're in the airport and our plane was you know just one of those days where the airport got all backed up and the planes were just all backed up and i found myself getting a little irritated then i thought i'm thinking of these ukrainian people who are you know leaving their homes and and this whole notion of just being comfortable and and you know what does that really look like? And I, I, you know, at some level, I live very comfortably. And I, I remember the story that that a, a woman told dad one time years ago, and she was living in Romania. And she was talking to him at a cathedral in the United Kingdom in England somewhere. And she says, I don't pray very well when I'm in the UK or in America, because I'm, I'm just too safe. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you look at what's really happening with the world today. And, you know, I know that it's always been in in chaos at some level, but you know what's really going on now, and um, is there a reformation in, in in the in the future here that's coming where people are saying, you know, we we know that there's something bigger than what what this life is now, yeah, and something that's that's more important. I mean, I I I used to think a buddy of mine used to say, can we live as Christians with the same commitment that the Al Qaeda terrorist lives with, where he's ready to blow himself up because he wants to get to eternity? Now, I don't think his ideology is very good at all, but um, but man, what a commitment. Well, and our, our hope, our hope really is going to be in being disillusioned. 
<laughs> you know, disillusioned by this world. And young people, I think, are, I think they're facing more disillusionment than I faced when I was their age. So that's hopeful at one level, as hard as it is, that's hopeful, you know, so. Well, I think we've talked to a bunch of these young people who, when you start to talk about the notion of heaven, I, I even think about my niece, who's 18, she's getting ready to go to college, and she's, uh, she just got prom queen, and um, she's super bright, and she's pretty, and, you know, she's thinking about her future, and I'm, I want to have kids, and I, but I'm thinking, what about the, the first 20 or 50 million years of your future? What are you thinking about with that? And it's how do you, how do you instill that kind of thought? And, and like you said, I don't know if it's possible. Yeah. You have to live life and get kicked a little bit before you can understand that, man, this life doesn't work. Yeah. No matter how hard you think you can make it work or what you, what, what you think the resources you may have to, to try to make this life work, eventually we all die. Well, and there is a, I mean, there is a suffering that doesn't depend on our circumstances. There's certainly they're circumstantial, but if we're at all honest, um, there, there's a suffering in our, in our souls when we realize that, Hey, I got a good marriage and yet I'm still, I'm still hungry for something or, you know, my friendships aren't, aren't quite what I, what I wish they were, you know? And, and so, you know, we have to broaden the category of suffering because some people can look at, well, I've never had cancer or I've never had this, but, um, there, yeah. There's suffering, you know, it's the groan, Paul said, you know, nobody escapes the groan, unless we just spend, unless we get addicted to a bunch of things and, and try and take it away, you know, and I so, wish I had the maturity to be aware of that without having to have gone through all the craziness that you have to go through to get there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a wife getting terminal cancer, um, those kind of things that, you know, I wish I had the ability to see what I think I see now a little bit more clearly because of some of those those things it does allow you to detach from this world in a way um you know even dad's passing has allowed me to detach from this world in a way realizing you know i said to you earlier what's he doing now you know when we were talking and aren't those aren't those god's mercies and grace to you i mean we think about mercy and grace in terms of forgiveness of our sin and certainly that's true but it, it's a mercy that kimmy gets cancer you know because of what god's going to do from that you know we don't we're not, we're not excited about that, but, but we know down deep that those are opportunities for God to do something in us that uh, just, just can't be done apart from some form of suffering. And so, you know, he, he has a script for all of us, whether it's, whether it's realizing something when you're 60 and going, oh my God, why didn't I see that when I was 40? <laughs> or, you know, yeah. why, why does cancer have to come into your, you guys' lives, you know, but there's a script for all of us that, you know, to, to trust and to believe that somewhere in that he's, he's, he's trying to open our hearts more to who he is and what he's doing. But our hope is in heaven, you know, and, um, and so to have heaven on the forefront of our mind seems to be something that, that, that seems important to me. And it, what it's done to me, uh, and even, even after having gone through this, Kent, in this, just reading the, the book again for the, I don't even know how many times I've read it. Um, but it's been probably a dozen since, um, but, but just now getting re-familiarized re with it, it puts heaven on that forefront of my mind mm. and it makes you want to live a little bit differently. And I, I mean, and that's been something that I'm really encouraged by. And that's where I think too, I've been talking with my kids about what does it mean to, to, to really think about heaven? Yeah. Um, even as a young kid who's got his, his and her life ahead of them um, in, in some, you know, who knows, perhaps some very difficult ways. Uh, for sure, some challenging ways. Um, 
I've got a, a question here. I don't know if anybody's got a question who's watching as we, as Kent and I are talking through this, we've, um, we've got one question that, I, that has been asked, and I just was going to pose this to you real quick. He says, my question relates to doing works of justice. Crab says that they're good, but not as important as love. I would say that works of justice are part of the gospel because it's working with God to bring the kingdom of earth as in heaven. Revelation 21, 1 through 4 talks about the great Christian hope of heaven coming here with no more tears, pain, or death. Martin Luther King said they could no longer wait for justice because they've been oppressed for so long. Is the notion of waiting a white Western privilege? Excuse me. What about justice for oppressed people? Telling them to wait seems insulting. Having said that, all this, I love the book. Sorry about the long question. <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting question. It is an interesting question. Um, I, I think I think we should always fight for whatever justice we can, you know, within whatever means we have. Um, but understanding that. Um, we're never going to bring that here. Only God's going to bring that here um, when he chooses to set all things right. So at some level, even, even as we go about that work, I think if we're not, if there isn't some sense of whatever, whatever you want to call that, waiting or something, if there isn't some sense of a larger story unfolding, then how we go about fighting for justice is, is not going to represent the heart of God very well. And that feels really important to me. I, I think we should... And some people are, God writes that on their hearts more than others, and they should, they should go about that. But I think something has to undergird that that allows us to go about it with some sense of ease and belief in something even deeper than the moment while we're fighting in the moment for something. And I think that's, that's where this idea of waiting for heaven, that there's a day coming when he will set it all right. I don't think I should just flippantly say that to people and say, well, you know, sorry for your, your hard fortune. <laughs> No, I think we, we should fight whatever we can fight, but but with an understanding that there's a better day coming. Um, and yeah, so some level of patience and perseverance with that. I don't know that really answers the question well, but. Um. But it, justice is such an interesting notion because I've, I've, as I'm talking with young kids now, um, one, of the, one of the lines that they seem to really say a lot is, oh, that's fair or that's not fair. And so when you talk about, I just remember that, um, you know, dad talking about, you know, the whole notion of sin. And when you talk about justice um, and what we really do deserve, um, that, that God, you know, through his son took, our, took the place, the propitiation of, of Jesus, um, that, then we all deserve hell. So at some level, you talk about oppression. And I, I appreciate oppression at some level. You know, maybe I've lived a, a, a privileged life in some respect. I think being the son of Larry Crabb, too, has not only given me certain benefits that, that, that other people haven't had, but I've had the, the chance to ask this guy questions and see his life. And so it just, um, has, has just had huge impact on me. So of, of, I, I feel so privileged and honored to have been his child. So understanding what justice, I mean, when I realized that what I really deserve and, and what I've seemed to have been given, even in, in the tough times, I mean, you know, to compared to some people that really are going through things that I, that I just haven't, don't have a paradigm for, um, all I know is that in, in respect to justice, it seems to me that we're all in need of the blood and, um, and we're all guilty. Um, and so, I mean, you know, I, I don't know if, if I would say waiting is a, is a, is a white privilege notion, because I think all of us, you know, it's all through scripture 
talking about waiting on what's coming and um and not putting our hope in this world yeah i suspect whoever asked the question probably could speak to it a whole lot better than you or i can sure yeah giving it a lot of thought you know yeah absolutely absolutely you know there's just there's so much about this book so so many different directions to go i i I think, you know, I, one of the things that really struck me uh, early on is when he, he kind of quotes from, like you said, inside out, and then he rewrites it. And one of that, one of those sentences I think is just so important is he says something like, I wrote it down here, misguided, the, the misguided focus of using one of the modern, the problems of modern Christianity is a misguided focus on using God to make this life work well whether by following a list of prescribed behaviors or by creating some spirit blissful experience of faith now, um, rather than, you know, this whole idea of waiting for something more that we're using God for now. And um, I just thought that's, that's a profound sentence. It's a scary thing. I think for, in modern Christianity, it's um, yeah, I just, I think that's worth a lot of thought. Yeah. Yeah. I think waiting applies to all of us because at some level, you know, and again, there's obviously different levels of oppression that we go through in this world. I was even thinking about just, you know, these Ukrainian people and different, different things. Just, it just, it, it just is mind blowing, but, but this is a warfare that Satan's after all of us. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'm almost a little bit, and I don't say this flippantly at all, but a little bit jealous of some of those people that are even more oppressed because, you know, that, 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 that seems to be the gateway to know Jesus better. And do I live in this comfortable Christian life that, you know, someone just just asked, how's Kimmy doing? Most of them know that, you know, my wife's been battling stage four lung cancer. Uh, We've gone through some some difficult times. She actually had a chance to speak at the summit a few weeks ago, which was really just a miraculous time, just glorious. I just uh, was so excited for her to do that. And it was very much a spirit led thing. But she's doing really well. And let me tell you what I'm scared about. Um, I'm scared that I'd go back to not depending on the Lord in the way that I felt like I had to when I learned that she was quite possibly going to die within the next five years. And now it seems, again, I, who knows what tomorrow will hold, but I, I don't want to lose that dependence mm. and that, and that, you know, and, and is it, okay, now God, you did your job. Yeah. The, your, the good medicine that the doctors have been able to give her and her bout with chemotherapy, uh, uh, you know, has, has proven to be, you know, working. Um, so now I'm just back to God to keep doing your job. And I'll try to do mine as opposed to just living with that dependence where for a few years there, Kent, I was just clinging to the cross to let, to live. Yeah. And I don't, um, I don't think you can go back. And I, I think the very fact that you're expressing that longing to not go back, God will honor. Um, I really do. I, I know you'll have days where you feel like you've gone back because we all do, but yeah, I, I don't, I think when God does things like that in our souls, man, something, something gets anchored and a solidness forms that, We'll question at times, but it, it's really there, and there's you you can't go back, and and you're expressing your desire not to, and I think God hears that as a prayer, and and, and He'll honor that. He'll He'll really honor that. So that's what I want. I, I want to continue to to have that dependence on Him in the midst of the deep waters when waters aren't as deep, because the the fact of the matter is the the war is always raging, and whether we feel it or don't feel it or wherever we are you've got to engage. And I loved what you said at the, at the, at the summit where it's time for us all to man our posts because the war is going on. But, but the nice thing is, is we're all waiting for heaven. And and that's what makes manning the post worthwhile. 
because that's where our hope is. And I just, I just am, am, am so taken with that notion now in ways that, quite frankly, two years ago and certainly 20 years ago, I wasn't even close to. Because yeah. you think about heaven in a way now that's very different. And now that my dad's there in heaven, even though my grandfather's there and different people that I've known and loved, but now it's dad. And I still see his picture. I have his ashes sitting above my desk. I always just look a little, little, little shrine to dad, I guess. And it, it's just kind of, you know, it's, it's to keep me centered, keep me, keep me focused on what's to come. You know, how, how in the moments of, of, of temptation, in the moments of depression, in the moments of when you feel like life has got, got you beat down, how do you have, how do you live in the hope that is ours to live in that is heaven? Because that is our hope. Um, if it's all true. And I believe, I believe it is. And so thank, thank you for that question about Kimmy. She's doing, she's doing great. One of the real um, tests for me is how do I live this out right now when I keep getting a Charlie horse in my leg that about knocks me out of my chair? <laughs> well, bro, I, I mean, we could keep going on this and, and uh, you know, we're certainly not here trying to fill up time. That's not what we do, but I just, I, I'm just grateful, Kent, that you, uh, that you agreed to do this with me and chat about this. I didn't know, you know, what to, what to expect as we think about this book together, but it's it's changing my life as I as I continually start to keep heaven now in the in the forefront of my mind. It changes the story that I'm telling at the moment. Am I telling God's larger story as I'm interacting with my wife, as I'm talking to my friends, as I'm living my life, or am I telling Satan's false story of trying to make this life work in 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 ways that just it just won't, and try to you, you cling to to this world in ways that you know, may give you some temporary satisfaction, but ultimately it just isn't life. And I'm, I'm starting to taste a little bit more of that all the time. And I'm just so grateful for that, for the life that dad showed us in how he lived, man. He, he loved Jesus and he, he, he wanted the spirit to lead his way. And I said to you before we jumped on this call, um, here we are a year plus now after he's passed. And I, I don't think I miss him any less. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I don't think his impact is any less. I'm more motivated now than ever. You know, we just got done shooting the first digital video course for Larger Story. Just got back from Atlanta and it, it could not have gone better. So many people were praying for that. Um, and I think it has the opportunity to let the spirit use it in a way that can maybe draw people to himself. So that's wonderful. It was cool. You know, I will just say this about the book. I, I, one, of the, one of the things I love um, about the book is it takes a, a topic that's so pertinent and doesn't make the topic in a sense the focus that the topic itself of addiction fits into this larger sense of what goes on in the human soul and that's what your dad was so good at like even the whole idea that addiction underneath addiction whether it's to alcohol or sex or too much eating or what shopping or whatever it is beneath that really ultimately is an addiction to self. The real problem is self addiction. And now, now we're, we're into a bigger category. <laughs> I did, I just, I love that about what he's able to do with stuff like this is to be able to, to see what's beneath the surface and to really speak to that. And, and if there's hope, it isn't going to be because we muster up the courage to try and, not have another drink or not eat too much food or whatever. It, it's going to be out of brokenness and repentance. Yeah. yeah. It's the only way. It's the only way to get free of addiction, uh, whatever free. And, and coupled with that is the fact that I just love that your dad kept saying, um, 
I, I got it written down here, quick caveat, he says, I believe there is no path to walk that eliminates the struggle to resist temptation or that guarantees no further failure. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. That, no. <laughs> that, that to me is just something you almost got a tattoo on the front of your, your brain, because I think that we're, we're in this quandary all the time between we were made for a place that's perfect and that's where we're going. And so we live with this constant hunger for things to be right. Right. And yet we live in between all of that and we live with this ache. So we, we want things to work. And that's partly why addiction works so powerfully because it pulls us towards something. But at the same time, we're not there yet. And so we're, we're in this constant tension in our souls, I think. And I, I just, yeah, it's just that ongoing battle that there's no way to ever fully get beyond the struggle here. And anybody who's preaching a gospel and I think this is Galatians and Colossians. Anybody who's preaching a gospel that says you can rise above the struggle and, and the battle of sin is preaching a false gospel. No doubt. Um, and I, I well, just think that's what Larry does so well in stuff like this is he communicates things that you think, wow, I'm a mess and I'm, I can't be very mature. And he suddenly says, well, that's part of maturity. That's part yeah. of embracing it. Yeah. You know, it's part of maturity. And that, that I think that's incredibly freeing. <laughs> I, I do too, Ken. I do too, so much. And when you are talking about the, the whole notion of self, something we talked about in the course development is, you know, the one thing we come out of the womb really good at is loving ourselves, you know, and, and you know, self, you know, and all these different things that culture then continues to put on you. Um, and that's why I think scripture says, love your neighbors as you love yourself, because we're pretty good at loving ourselves. Yeah. And so what does it mean, that whole flesh spirit battle? Um, it's so important. And, and I think just a, an awareness of what's coming and, 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 and the belief in that and the hope of that is what I think allows us to move through some of these things now that, that otherwise, I don't think we could. Well, and the other thing your dad does well in the book is he redeems concepts that many of us have heard all our, all our lives. Like, for instance, you know, it, it, it comes down to choice. I mean, he, I was almost surprised he ends up there in the book. But, but it's, it's, how's he say it? Like, um, well-informed and, uh, I got it, I got it written down here. Let me, you know, it's choice based on well-informed and meaningfully influenced. And then he unpacks that. So he, he recaptures things that we've always heard. Hey, wait for heaven. Well, I heard that as a youngster at communion and I didn't, you know, what are we supposed to do? Sit around here and talk about riding on the clouds or what, what does that mean? You know, it didn't mean much to me. And, you know, hey, you have freedom of choice and that really it matters, you know, and most of that, what growing up just meant, just bite the bullet and make hard discipline. And, and your dad just always goes back, he comes back around to those truths that were even true back then, but with, with new meaning to it and, and a way of thinking about it that doesn't feel like I'm just trying to buck up and pull up my bootstraps and make it happen. You know, it's coming out of something else that I... And that's where I, I find myself wanting to keep reading the book because I want that to sink down in a little bit more to understand what's he really saying there? Because there's something there. There's something really there that's that's true that I've always heard, but now he's coming at it with more depth and meaning to it. And I that I, lo I love that. I love that. You know, I, I, I've, I've said this to on, on many of the book of the month webinars is these are books that should go on your annual reading list that you have to read over and over again to, to start to really have them sink in a little bit. And what does it mean to stay focused on heaven, which then really takes power away from addictions. 
and yeah. self. You know, and you I, have to die to self. I think one more thing that I wouldn't want to, I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, and that's just when he, when he gets to those couple chapters, maybe around 10 or somewhere in there, where he starts talking about the Trinity um, and what we're really invited into at the core of the gospel. You know, my understanding of the gospel growing up was, you know, I'm, I'm saved. I'm saved from my sin. I get a ticket to heaven and not hell. <laughs> and right. I mean, that, that's the entry level. And yet that for a lot of people, that's all they ever learn. And it's like, no, no, I'm invited into the community of, of the Godhead to participate in their purposes and to discover a joy in that, that comes from knowing that I'm loved and that his life is in me can be poured out. And man, he, I mean, that's just, you know, your, your dad, I, I found a quote that he wrote years ago. And I remember reading this one time and he goes, I read it at an SSD and it was in a journal article. And he goes, man, who wrote that? That was really good. And I said, you did. <laughs> and he kind of, yeah, here's what he said. He said, most Christians would strongly affirm their belief in a triune God, but in a way that says, I know it's true, but I'm not sure why it's important. The doctrine of the Trinity establishes relationship as the foundation of everything Christian. Once we take seriously the idea of three persons who are one God, we are immediately caught up in a mystery. And something about the final order of things remains hopelessly unexplained. But boy, in the center of this book, your dad, he ends up back there almost as if, and I think it's true, he was just discovering something in the latter part of his years. And if you want to think about this more, I'd say... Uh, get on the website whenever the workshops from the summit event, because Trip Moore did an incredible job of unpacking this idea. And um, I, I think it's worth listening to, and it's worth really thinking about what is this gospel? It's more than just I'm saved and I get a ticket to heaven. You, you know, it, uh, we're, we're, it reminds yeah. me of the story that dad was talking with Broughton Knox in South Africa at one point, overlooking a, a scene of just incredible poverty. And Broughton says to dad, you know, I'm just now starting to, and these, this is an 80 plus year old theologian. Dad's probably not even 40 years old at the time. And he said, I'm just now starting to understand the implications of the gospel. Hmm. And it's just, that's just so powerful. And, um, and dad realized that I need to listen to that because there's something way bigger than I just got a ticket to heaven, but what, what is it doing now? And that's where waiting for heaven with that eager anticipation of what's to come can change how you live today. Yeah. And um, we, we got a little tiny taste of that at the summit a few weeks ago. I know some of you who joined us at the summit, um, we just really enjoyed that time with y'all. And um, we're hoping to do that again and maybe expand on that in some ways. Um, but this has been so fun, Kent. I just love chatting with you, bro. I mean, um, it's fun to see your face. I told you earlier, it's fun because I used to do this with dad and I could just, you know, even though he was 2000 miles away, I, I still felt like I was sitting next to him. So yeah, it's, uh, it's always sad at one level because I feel like, wow, I wish people could have heard the uh, 30 minutes before we came on here and started recording because that was that was pretty rich, too. And yeah, even, you know. years, even as a pastor, we get together sometimes and talk about it with several elders or people, a small group, and we talk about a topic and we talk about maybe even what, what we'd love to see on Sunday. And then we come to Sunday and we feel like, dang, man, I wish we could record and play what what happened on thursday at breakfast for everybody you know and that's the yeah that's the way i felt today man i really enjoyed the minutes before even that we were able to chat oh, about this so i just i love it bro it's so fun to chat with you and um i guess just as, as we get ready to to sign off here i just would say to everybody remember to join us next month for a different kind of happiness i'll be joined by a friend of mine next month as well 
And um, I guess the last thing I'd say, aside from thanks, Kent, for joining me, but I guess the best is still yet to come. This is certainly not it. So be keeping an eye on heaven as heaven is, uh, is, is closer than we think. So thanks for the time, man. It's been great chatting with you, brother. Anything yeah. you want to say as we kiss off here? No, I just, I know there's a lot of people out there who listen that I um, know and um, just want to say hi and um, let's, um, let's keep going, man. Let's keep it fun to connect at the summit with you guys, bro. And just hug your neck and see each other face to face now. And that was kind of felt like it was a little different. <laughs> you hadn't done it in a while. So that was fun. That was yeah. fun just to be with you guys for that. But well, Kent, thanks again for doing this with me today, man. And um, give your wife a big hug for me. Okay. Have a great day. Thank you all for joining us. Thanks for listening to Larger Story Messages. To learn more, visit LargerStory.com.